When did you first come across rubber ducking? Oh, that's a good question. I think the first time I worked with other people who were coders. I think my first... So after being freelance and then actually being in a room with other developers was when it first came up as a concept. Mine came up, um, and this is a course I haven't mentioned in a while, so I, th- I was thinking of a good reason to mention it. That's the whole reason for this episode, by the oh, way. I think I can see where um, this is going. <laughs> it's the, the very good course, CS50. don't know if you've heard of it. No, no, um, what's that? Tell, do tell us. They, uh, they, on that course, they talk about uh, rubber ducking. And um, I think they, I think in one of the later years, not the not the year I did, they uh, they do a massive rubber duck, bring a massive rubber duck out onto the stage, um, and I will see if we can get a picture for the show notes, like the like the Watt duck. <laughs> yeah, so they've got a big bl- uh, an inflatable rubber duck. Oh wow, that's excellent. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. Um, you may you at home. You may be wondering why why what rubber ducks have got to do with coding. Well, this week we're going to tell you. That's why our question is: Why should you own a rubber duck? So aside from rubber ducking, which we'll get to, do you have strategies for dealing with being blocked or stuck or like wrestling with a bug that just will not die? Do I have strategies? Yeah, you kind of, I guess. You need to you need to know what your code is doing. Well, first of all, you need to read the error messages. That's a good <laughs> yeah, that's a very good tip. Yeah. Uh, and I sometimes I find myself not reading error messages. So when you're debugging, you like you've you've written some code, something goes wrong. You need to find out what's wrong. Um, an error will come up from from the programming language you use. Hopefully, that those are the good errors when you, when you got some sort of feedback. Um, the silent errors are worse, aren't they? But uh, yeah, so hopefully you'll you'll get some sort of error message and it'll tell you what line things are going wrong on and sometimes that might be a cause of a problem and you can kind of you can look at the stack trace. Have you got a good ex- explanation of what a stack trace is, Tom? Well, I suppose if you think of the execution of your program as a like stack of things that happen one after another and like functions and things will be nested so you kind of yeah, it's just a, like a little history of what's happened recently. Like to show where things have broken. Yeah, it's a list of how you got to that point, isn't it? It's like a list of the stuff that the computers tried to do um, before it errored. Um, so you can kind of see where it's come from. Yeah, sometimes it's something. Sometimes errors will cascade down through things that you've written, and like, you might not have a catch or an error boundary exactly where the yeah. thing is broken. Um, so, so sometimes the immediate error that you see in the console or wherever you're finding your errors may not be it's a hundred percent a symptom but it may not be the root cause so having a stack trace you can see like oh where did this originate mm. that becomes particularly useful when you're using frameworks that have a lot of <laughs> boilerplate code in them a lot of stuff that creates its own error messages and will fail in different ways if you like something you break or something you do incorrectly may break the code in the framework and you get the framework's error message, but you can then sort of follow the stack trace to find what it was that you did that broke it. Yeah, oftentimes there'll be loads of just like file names that you've just not heard of before, and then like in there somewhere there'll be one there'll be one file that's something that you've written, and then you can go and look at that and and change that. That's generally a good um, hint. If there's if there's loads and loads of stuff there, but there's only one that you recognise, 
it's probably the one that you've been working on most recently, <laughs> which is likely yeah. to be the culprit. Yeah. So, so say like we say we say read error messages like it's obvious, but it was quite that was quite a sort of watershed moment for me very early in my career was realizing that they are there to help. It's not just oh your computer has performed an illegal action <laughs> like you'd get from Windows back in the day. Um, it's not like it's not there just to tell you that it's broken. It's there to actually like particularly in development when you're using development tools and using things in the terminal. The error messages are very deliberate, and they're saying something about how they've broken. And often, like particularly now, like good error messages will include like hints on how to like not have that error happen. <laughs> and make like suggestions. in Rust, I think Rust's a good language for that. Yeah, I've never, I've Rust, never used Rust myself. Not a very beginner-friendly language. No, is uh, does have good error messages. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think often the problem is error messages can look a bit scary. Because there's, there's so much text there that's just kind of flashed up on the screen. Some of it's red sometimes, so it's a bit like, oh, I don't want to read through all of this. But it is useful. And you kind of, each language, a lot of, well, there are different ways of showing error messages. Sometimes the most important things are at the bottom, and sometimes the most important things are at the top. But generally, like, work out which way your language shows the error, the stack trace, essentially. And then just, but start, like, in Python, you would look at the bottom, because that's the most important thing. I think in JavaScript, is it at the top? Yeah, it depends. Um, I often find it's at the top. Sometimes if you're like in the React component without a boundary, you could be looking down the bottom. But yeah, node things, like if something goes wrong with node in the terminal, like an execution thing, go to generally go to the thing that happened first, particularly if you're looking <laughs> at like you're tailing a log file or something and you're seeing yeah. stuff in the order, in, in time order of when they happened. Like error logs in that way, find the thing that went wrong first. Generally, a <laughs> generally a good strategy because you can. Yeah. Once you get past a few errors and they start compounding and piling on top of each other, you can get all sorts of weird behaviour happening, which throws all sorts of weird errors, which can be massively distracting if you yeah. like, focus on them too quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that as it, well as like outside of errors and reading error messages, getting as quick as quickly as you can to the root cause of whatever is going wrong is good advice i think and there's that that's that thing of like splitting your code in half so if you can if you're if you've like broken your code up into lots of functions you can like stop your code at a certain point be like i'm going to run through the first half of the code and if anything breaks and i know it's i don't know if that's the exact thing because i can imagine a lot of edge cases where that doesn't actually (laughs) find the root cause but i mean the idea of that that's essentially you're putting a breakpoint in your code there aren't you have you done breakpoints yeah, or, with javascript i've not done breakpoints with javascript i know what breakpoints are i've used them before yeah but yeah well and maybe the better thing like the first thing that people often do is just instead of a breakpoint before we, we'll talk about those in a sec um is print statements you just like print out what's going on at that point what the value is that's like a, a poor person's debugger <laughs> yeah good old faithful console log for javascript yeah. developers uh, use that <laughs> probably every, like at least 10 minutes every day i'm i'm a i'm a textbook bad debugger <laughs> well it's a nice quick way to it's it's makes sense and it's like you can go to exactly what you want you don't have to worry about like setting up a debugger or doing anything like that you can just pop a print statement in there run it again see if the thing prints sometimes i'll have a function with like five lines in it and before every line i'll put a number so i'll have print one <laughs> two three four five so then i'll see i'll see how many numbers i get through and see where it breaks 
it's it's quick and dirty, but it it does work and and can work quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's quicker just to throw a, a console console login or a console dir or a console warn or something rather than <laughs> go to the effort of opening up the network tab and seeing what API response failed on. Swings and roundabouts, sometimes that's quicker. Um, but that kind of, yeah, outside, yeah, once you get beyond just printing or logging something, you can actually be a little bit smarter about it and use a breakpoint and step through the code to see what the, and then kind of inspect the state on the fly of what's happening. That can be really useful too. And that's like a less high, you know, you actually have to do less to get the information than you would if you were like going through and adding a log in every single one of those cases. And particularly if you don't know where the problem is, it can help you sort of bounce around quicker without having to open loads of files and do all sorts of stuff. You can actually just follow the program as it executes. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say in, in so if I was running a Flask app or something, it's it's, it's quite a bit, uh, there's a little bit of setup to like get, get a debugger running. I don't know if it's a similar sort of thing in JavaScript because if I've got a Python file, I can like a Python command line script or something, I can set up a debugger fairly simply and then just kind of run through and step through. So what a debugger does is you can kind of step through each line of your code. Um, so if you set a breakpoint, your code will run and it'll stop at that point, but it won't break or anything unless unless your code is broken before then. Um, it'll kind of pause and wait for you and then you have to press like F10 to get to the, the next thing. <laughs> um, the next line of codes and then and then it steps through and that's why it's good for finding out exactly where the problem is it's one of the things i like about um client side versus server side is it's like the browsers have so many tools for this kind of stuff built in and if there isn't a tool for the specific thing you're looking at there's probably a browser extension you can use yeah the web inspector is a powerful tool oh, and it has all these debugging stuff things built in so if you're front-ending and doing things that run in the client then you don't even need to set up a debugger it's there for you already I, I don't think I've ever used it. That's a, that's a, I wasn't even aware there was one. I, I mean, of course there is, but I, I hadn't really thought about it yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, well, you, why would you? you? You mostly do server-side stuff, but... We've done a lot of a lot of JavaScript recently. Ah, well, you can... <laughs> could have done with a debugger. Yeah, well, you can, you can, you can literally just write debug, <laughs> debug, debug in, your, in your code, and it will add a breakpoint. Or you can go in... You can inspect your source files in the web inspector and select lines and add breakpoints there, which is where the code will execute until it gets to there, and then it will pause, and then it gives you like a little play fast-forward thing, and you can oh, really? step through the functions as they happen or skip That's over fantastic. complicated things. Yeah, the tools these days are amazing. I That requires no setup at all, does it? <laughs> no. yeah. And then and if you're using React, for instance, you can there's like the React dev tools are pretty good. You can kind of see what hooks are fired and you can see what components are mounted and what the state of those components are. And you can get sort of performance inspector tools as well. And you can see sort of how, how long things have taken to, to render and why they rendered in the first place, all that kind of good stuff. Wow. Okay, I'm good. Next time I do some JavaScript, I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, highly recommended. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so excellent that's tool. like printing and debugging and stuff. But we're kind of we're 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 skirting around the the main thing, the the most useful uh, well, way of what, debugging. What do you do when these things fail you? When no matter how much yeah. you look at it, no matter how much you work, you still are stuck. You're just hitting a brick wall and just going round and round in circles and not making any progress. What can you do then? 
you you speak to your your rubber duck. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 tell you tell your rubber duck or insert cute fur. I've got a little uh, I've got a kiwi from when I went to uh, I've got an All Blacks kiwi oh, from very nice. New Zealand. Yeah. And you, you tell it what the code is meant to do. You you talk you explain your code to a to a five year old essentially. No, well, I suppose let's go back. Let's, the, <laughs> the principle here is explaining your problem to someone can be a massively useful tool. Like explaining to a colleague, like sitting down and going, "This is what this is the problem I'm having." Breaking it down into a form where you can tell someone else what you've got, so what you're seeing, what you've tried, where you've got to. The and the, just the act of explaining it and now light and sort of laying it out like that in a logical way so that somebody else can understand it. You don't even need the colleague sometimes to say anything because by the the very act of explaining it connects something in your brain and you see it slightly differently and you work out something that you've missed. You find that little problem that you you overlooked before or that little 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 kink in the in the process that's <laughs> that's missing and you can you can fill in the gap and you can actually make progress and you like the colleague hasn't even colleague hasn't even said anything you've <laughs> It's just the act of explaining it helps helps you sort through the problem in your own mind. And so to do that, why do you even need the colleague? You can just explain out loud to anything. And the classic canonical example is a rubber duck. So the reason they um, show it on the CS50 course right at the beginning of the course is because it's such a useful tool to be able to kind of just explain your code to yourself or to someone else or to a rubber duck if you find it too hard to explain to yourself um but i think it's the act of kind of saying it out loud and forcing yourself to do that instead of just talking it through in your head because obviously you've got to that point and it's not working it's not it's not the machine's fault you've written something that doesn't work yeah. <laughs> um so you need to you need to get to the to get to the root of the problem and i think if you if you can't really if you can't explain what your code's doing then you're it's like, how did you write it in the first place if you don't know what it's doing? Um, that would be my first question. Well, sometimes you can be um, debugging stuff that you didn't write. No, that happens a lot. That's true, yeah. yeah. But then by by then having to explain the bits that you didn't write, you're going to gain a greater understanding of, of how that worked. Yeah, and it, it feels like a weird psychological trick to say it out loud and i don't i mean if i'm rubber ducking at home i have no rubber duck and i don't speak out loud but i will open up a text file and i will write out what the problem is what i've tried so far where i think things are going wrong and that often does help like prior to asking a colleague directly because you know, asking for help is an important part of the job particularly if you particularly when you work in a team and if you don't there are the internet opens avenues for for help in that in that way too but just being able to ask someone a question can unstick you really quickly using someone else's knowledge, but you don't want to be a burden. You don't want to interrupt unnecessarily. You don't want to waste other people's time. So thinking, making sure you've thought something through in your head first, you've outlined the problem and you know how to explain it as if you were going to explain it to a rubber duck is very useful if you're going to ask someone else for help. And coincidentally, in that that process will often <laughs> yield the result before you need to ask someone. Definitely true. I, I can I can concur with that. <laughs> yeah, and also there's the like going slightly beyond rubber ducking. There's I don't know if there's like an official name for it. I call it the curse of the demo. But it's in the same way that 
you explain something to someone and instantly you might get the core of the problem and solve it. If you show something that you're pleased with and you think works <laughs> to somebody else, <laughs> instantly all the bugs will appear. <laughs> yeah, that's that happened to me today. In fact, I was I was working on something, and I thought, "Oh, this looks great." And then I, I was throwing some screenshots around, and everyone was they were like, "Oh, yeah, that looks good." And then, but then we started pairing on it, and then they they pulled it up, and then and then I started seeing all the things that because because other people use things in different ways to to you. So if you're if you're like demoing to something to somebody, they might say, "Oh, what happens when you do this?" And then you go and do it, and then that, that's when it breaks. But I think it—I think that's the—that's the curse of the demo is that you'll often do things that aren't the the happy path, as Tom would say. Um, <laughs> I, not, not, I didn't coin that phrase, but it is—it is a thing that you can very quickly become blinkered by the way that you do something. And if if you're only considering, I mean, you can consider all sorts of use cases and catch put error catches and validation everywhere. Um, but chances are you might have, you know, if, if you're doing something reasonably complex, there's going to be scenarios you've not considered first time around. Yeah. But that's why demos are such a good thing. It's because then you then you can pick up on all these things. Yeah, it's an important, Hopefully, uh, an important part of QA, I think. Before, yeah, yeah before, before they get to a client customer. So I kind of, I take rubber ducking to include the, the bit the bit where you go beyond and actually do ask someone like it's <laughs> like when i think of like rubber duck programming it's 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 almost it's the explanation of the problem that is the important part there and nine times out of ten like a, like a classic rubber duck will reveal the problem to me but not quite often i mean i say nine times out of ten that one time in ten is still many many multiple times a day <laughs> i come across <laughs> a problem where i'm like i'm really stuck on this um and that's where having resources like supportive colleagues or um, commu commu dev communities that you're part of or other places to go to ask questions could be massively useful. Um, kind of, I guess, is some of the stuff that you maybe have been doing uh, when you were mentoring when you first started learning to code. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the times it's not really people ask a question and then you kind of ask a question back and then they kind of figure out figure out what, what was going wrong because <laughs> it wasn't necessarily that complicated in the first place but it seems complicated when you don't know when you don't know what's going wrong like i think i've talked about this before but i spent hours some on something once and it was just a little syntax error and i missed a, a comma out and this was at the point when i'd written down all the code in pencil to see if i could try and figure out what was going on. so i could lay it out on the floor and see it all but um, well it's a rite of passage i mean you can it's the more advanced you get in your career, the form of that kind of error changes. So you're probably, yeah. chances are you're probably now using much more advanced linting tools and code formatting. So things like missing a semicolon isn't going to be such a big deal anymore because mm -hmm. instantly you've got tools to help you with that. But that style of problem, like just the tiny thing that you missed that might be a, might be a spelling mistake, it might be something, it might, just something little, that you just need a second pair of eyes to see because you've been looking at it all day. You just read that thing a hundred times and you're just blind to the typos. It's like any editor will tell you this for, for text or anything you send, you become blind to your own mistakes and you need a second pair of eyes or ears or, or whatever to look at it and to catch those little things that are so obvious. They're, they're trivial and you, but you shouldn't feel bad about them existing because it's just a natural part of becoming familiar with, what you're doing <laughs> yeah yeah and that's why um pairing becomes so useful 
when you're when you do get a job or you're, you're lucky enough to work with someone before you do um like often most of the times when i'm pairing with someone i'll just be there kind of pointing out like really really small little things which may seem annoying to people but it's actually quite a useful thing if you're, you're checking like a variables spelt correctly when you've written it a second time so then you, you kind of you you save a bit of time on the uh working out why stuff's broken <laughs> yeah you <laughs> just get two pairs of eyes yeah. better you, than you get one. to those little problems much much quicker they get caught so easily because you might well you both have blind spots but chances are they're not in the same place so this thing that you will have missed and not even have considered the other person will catch instantly like that and bam, saved yourself minutes of debugging if not longer yeah um, and that really does compound so like pairing in that regard is yeah, it's very much like a superpower you end up <laughs> <laughs> like the quality of the code is better than either one of you would have written individually yes yeah definitely uh, better than if one of you wrote it and then the other one reviews it. Like it yeah. It's there's something about the way that, I don't know, that two people are working on something. That, yeah. that I say it like that. I don't pair very often. It's, <laughs> it's rare. I mean, it, you, it, it's tough remotely. It's not impossible. I mean, screen sharing is fantastic nowadays. and you can. Yeah, I, I pair quite a lot and it's, it works very successfully. Yeah. Yeah. And we will, we will when we're doing something, something particularly tricky. Um, but I wouldn't, I, I think I'd, there's something about that because because you work so much faster and do so much more. Your brain is on more when you're pairing. I find than when I'm <laughs> like you don't almost don't have time to take a breather, and I can find it more draining to pair for a long period of time yeah. than, than to work indi- independently. Yeah, it often can be. I wouldn't do it for a humongous stretch, but uh, mm. a couple of hours here and there can help get get you through like certain blockers. Yeah, and particularly in the case of debugging, like when you're you kind of, you've done your little rubber duck process. You've explained the problem, and then you've got a second person in. Like, so often, I find with like, particularly with support tickets, but also with problems that I've got and problems that other people have, have come to me with, is that the person who has the problem doesn't, necess- doesn't necessarily know what the problem is, and might be explaining all sorts of symptoms and weirdness, thinking that's the root cause of the problem, when actually it's something in a completely different direction that may be completely obvious or maybe not. But sometimes you have to. <laughs> listen to someone explain a whole rubber duck a whole load of stuff that is actually tangential to what the problem is and you can just step in and go oh that's the problem there i mean that's such a satisfying thing to do as the person being asked <laughs> and it's even more amazing when you're the person asking and it's like, oh of course it can sometimes be a bit humbling you can you can yeah. like, oh how did i how did i miss that but how it, have i spent so long on this <laughs> but it happens all the time um at all levels of, of people in their careers i think at all levels of seniority i don't know anyone who doesn't have that happen sometimes <laughs> so i wouldn't feel, yeah. don't feel bad about it it's part of the process <laughs> yeah definitely i do what i do worry if this podcast like over the course of all these episodes is us saying it's okay to be bad being bad is fine <laughs> well, i wonder if there are good there are like 10x developers out there going oh you absolute idiots you're perpetuating a horrible cycle of people being incompetent but I don't. I've never met any of those people. I've never worked with any of those people. If you're one of those people, write in. Let us know. Oh, God, you can be sure they would if they existed, because they'd be very yeah. obnoxious. I would, I would rather suck and be nice. <laughs> Definitely. So to wrap it up, I think buy yourself a rubber duck, or don't buy yourself a rubber duck, but have something that you can talk to or not talk to. 
It's up to you. <laughs> Do your work. But that concept. It of, depends. Yeah. It doesn't depend. No, it doesn't depend. Absolutely. <laughs> lay out your thoughts. Explain your idea. Doesn't matter who it's to. Doesn't matter in what form. But get your problem that you're having out of your head. Lay it out logically. However you do that, that will help your debugging. I think that's a, probably the best summary of rubber ducking I can think of. <laughs> hey, here. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's episode of A Question of Code. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com, where you can find all the information about how to get in touch with us and suggest topics for future episodes or guests we could have. Or, you know, share the horrible, horrific bugs you've been having. Rubber duck to us. We won't be able to solve your problem, but we will listen. <laughs> and that in itself, as we've proved from this episode, is very valuable and you should be eternally grateful to us for. Yes. Do subscribe if you haven't already, and please do tell your friends. Hopefully see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.